1: Hey, what's up, Hells fans? Uh, thanks to those of you who are joining us on the Locker Room app today. For those of you who may not know, the Locker Room app is a free and fun opportunity for you to talk to athletes, members of the media, or even open up your own group chats and debate the hottest and latest topics in sports. If there's a crazy buzzer beater, find tons of people who want to react to it instantly in Locker Room. All you got to do is download the free app on your iOS device. I'm so sorry to anyone on an Android. I promise you they are working on that update. You can follow me. You can follow Chris Connor. You can set up your notifications, and then you'll know exactly when we go live. All right, back to the show. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today.
0: And gentlemen, welcome to a very um, urgent, impromptu edition of The Bird Calls. Joining me, David Grove, are Kevin Berrios, Ali Cosell, and David Fisher of the usual cast of characters from thebirdrights.com. Gentlemen, it has been a interesting day, to say the least. We rise to the news that Stan Van Gundy has been fired as the head coach Though they though they say mutual parting of the ways, um, that means you're fired. Today at 3 o'clock, David Griffin held his press conference to explain his decision. Uh, we all watched that in its entirety. Ali, as the editor-in-chief, first I'd like to give you the floor and give your impressions of David Griffin's performance.
2: Well... We knew that Sam Van Gundy got hired, and then David Griffin spoke on it, and I feel like we didn't learn much from the 20 to 25 minutes of the interview. Um, I mean, I know that the basic reasoning behind the firing, according to Griff, is philosophical differences, that the initial fit on when Stan was hired uh, just looked, felt better all the above than to having the season transpire to ending up where we are now. Griff talked a lot about how, you know, th- th- these differences played a big part, but that he and, he still respects Stan 100,000%, you know, called him a great basketball mind. But he says it was a process that they've spent over the last month of this off season where they discussed and discovered that, you know, they're just not on the same page. So I didn't personally like the response. Um, I don't know how you can't deduce that you won't be on the same page when you hire a person, when you spend three months in, in looking searching for a head head coaching candidate when Stan already has a big reputation out there, you kind of know you should know what you're getting and how you'll fit next to him or you know work with him so yeah, I just didn't learn much from griff's inter- interview other than leaving with the impression that you got to think some of these rumors were true on why basically he was let go, and I'm mainly speaking to of course the players or some of the players not getting along or seeing as eye to eye. With Stan Van Gundy, as one would hope. And when you combine, of course, with a disappointing season, just winning one more game from the prior season, it just all adds up. And I mean, the pressure is completely on them to start winning. And even though Griff denied that, hey, he feels like there's some kind of invisible clock ticking, saying that he doesn't believe in it or hear it, there obviously very much is. Otherwise, you know, I don't think we would see Alvin Gentry coach for one year and get Uh, Dismiss. Same thing then with Stan Van Gundy. So no, the pressure is obviously on this front office to get it right. And so far they clearly haven't.
0: Fish, let me go to you um, because this season you have been consistent in saying, look, this was not the year to go all in. I think we all agreed on that, but now coming from the frame of reference of the end of the season and where we were uh, in our thoughts, then not thinking that the coach would not be here for Zion's third year. And he will have his third coach now in three seasons. What is your impression of this season now? How does that urgency change, not just from winning, but setting a stage for the impression of this organization? Because this to me is not a good look to be in year three on your third different coach and
3: have this
0: disparate vision with both of your coaches.
3: It, it it raises questions in terms of if you haven't made the correct choice now twice out of two times you're about, you're batting zero on two swings why should i expect at this point that you're going to make contact with the next swing um, and i i i am rapidly losing my expectation that that's going to occur. Um, I I was somebody who felt like Stan Van Gundy was a good fit for what the team needed. I thought that he was going to be here for two to three years. He was going to teach the young kids how to play defense, and then hopefully they would you know scratch their way into a playoff berth next year and the year after that, and then they would decide, hey, it's time to move on to the young flashy or the up and coming or however that was going to be done. To have to be able to say this is how the franchise is going to take the next step. And instead, what it looks like is it looks like dysfunction. And I can see I've I've read other folks say that, you know, they've identified Mm -hmm. that he's not the right guy. And so they're moving on and we as fans should, you know, be heartened by that, because he's not going to just continue to ride out his mistake. But it feels to me, and all these discussions on the philosophical and all the rest of the pontificating from the top of Mount Olympus that we heard this afternoon, so many words used to say nothing, um, is that what I got from that is I, I don't feel like he's still identified what it is that the team needs, and now it's, I mean, leaning back to what Ollie said, if it's just the fact that the coach – doesn't have, you know, if the, the coach isn't able to reach the two stars properly, then he's choosing the stars over the coach. And I think, I mean, we haven't really done a whole lot of season wrap-up, but I, I think that I'm not the only one who feels that maybe it's the players too. And Stan Van Gundy's won everywhere he's been except here. And why should I believe that that's a Stan Van Gundy issue and not the players that are on his roster issue? So, I mean, I guess we can give Griffin his flowers in terms of he identified that this wasn't working and so he's making the change. But given his history running this organization, my concern is is that while it's not working, I don't necessarily agree that he's identified the right thing to change He's just changing stuff. So let's just rearrange the chairs on the Titanic again and swing once more. So I am after this, I am less confident than I was, you know, a week ago of the direction of the organization.
0: Yeah, Kevin, um, Griff talked a lot about this next step, the alleged next step. Uh, but there weren't specifics as to what that next step is supposed to look like, where this team is supposed to be. Um, After what you did see this season, and look, we all had our feelings about Stan Van Gundy, but what you did see was development of the young players in, in many cases, what you did see was a defense that improved over the second half of the season. Uh, What you did see was a team that down the stretch, even without its best players continued to compete. So there were some good things there, but these rumblings happened all throughout the season. How much of an onus do you think this is on the players? Because you've gone from a player friendly coach in Alvin Gentry to a more disciplinarian type coach in Stan Van Gundy, and it hasn't worked either way. So how much of this is on the players and how they approach this?
4: Yeah. I mean, just to go back to what you said about the next step, I mean, the next step could be off the plank if this one doesn't work right away. You know I mean? um, You're looking at a lot of problems that haven't been solved, but like you said, there were good signs of things, you know, I think a lot of us, uh, I mean, I have no problem saying I was heavily, I heavily bashed Jackson Hayes for his approach to the game, his approach to preparing for the game. Um, But you saw what a season under Stan Van Gundy and what Steven Adams did for him. Now, you know, maybe it was. Teresa Theresa Witherspoon maybe gets most of the credit for that who knows we don't really know for sure but we know that having a coach that had a different approach than um, Alvin Gentry made a difference in Jackson Hayes's approach to preparing for the game and getting himself ready to play um, and dedication to his craft and learning his craft he wasn't so much relying on uh, just his athletic ability which has always been incredible um his focus and his attention to detail and his willingness to learn uh was apparent and you know we heard that he started to come to meetings early and things like that all of these things came about because of examples set by somebody this year that wasn't there last year um now you know you're never going to have a person that satisfies everybody on your roster. You know, that's impossible. You have 15 to 17 people on the roster, including the two way guys. So you're dealing with multiple personalities, multiple backgrounds, um, multiple work ethics, all of those things come into play. So you never know who he's reaching and who he's not reaching, especially because, you know, I usually get information from guys like you and Ollie who are, in the building and see things and hear things. But this season we're not able to do that due to COVID. So information on what's happening behind the scenes, is a little harder to come by these days. Um, so I don't know, you hear the rumblings about Brandon Ingram. Um, you don't know how much stock to put in that because again, it's all coming from other sources that are not close to you. Um, so if, you know, if there are problems with the main two stars, uh, then, you know, I think it's become apparent that that's the world that we live in in the NBA, that you got to make that change. Uh, I don't know, like I wasn't enamored with the Stan of Gundy hire, but I was fine with it. I thought, you know, he would provide a lot of the issues. I think a lot of this stems back to the original sin of not making a coaching change immediately when when he came in, when Griffin came in, when he had an opportunity to hand over these young players to somebody who would be more focused on developing them have more of like a strategic plan than, more, than the free flowing sort of uh, easy goes it um, attitude and environment that Alvin Gentry was running uh, in New Orleans. So I think a lot of this stems from that problem. And then, you know, you used to have this the substitute teacher, then you get the disciplinarian filling in, you know, some sometimes people are going to buck and uh i think there's that so but if you're trying to build a culture of winning and there's guys that don't want to put in the work you know you also have to figure that out is it you know do i need to move some guys for other pieces those sort of things you know we've all said the rosters had its issues um all along but it's hard to know really who's at fault because You know, we have a GM, we have scouts, we have all of this, but all we ever see is Griffin and all we ever get is Griffin saying we when it's something bad. Uh, So I don't know who necessarily made certain choices, who necessarily disagreed with other people. You know, we had that uh, time earlier where Griffin was saying things about the young guys needing to earn minutes. And so is Griffin dictating that Bledsoe had to play or is he, you know, protecting his coach and making it look like it's him? We don't know. Um, so it's really hard to understand, and I really feel like we didn't learn anything in that press conference today, which has kind of always been the case with the David Grifford press conference, or you know, in fairness to all sports press conferences, because people never really say anything of much value in those things that you can really take away something meaty, meaty from them. That's usually a, a rare scenario, but this one was particularly um, word salady and non-committal and non-informative. Um, so we just kind of have to wait and see for whispers to get out of there, uh, agents to start leaking stuff, players to start making comments, uh, articles like the Tim Cato article about the Mavs that we saw the other day starting to come out, things like that, then maybe we'll get a better picture. But, um, you know, it's overall, I'd say it's a really bad look to change coaches twice in two years. Uh, I mean, we all laughed at the Pacers for doing it a couple weeks ago, so we can't now be like it's a great thing that we're doing it as well. You know, I, like I said, there is merit to uh, identifying a problem and changing it and not just sticking in it. Um, but, I mean, you can't just be on Tinder looking for coaches. You know, that's just not uh, something that makes your franchise look good.
0: Yeah. it To me, it's like if you were the general manager at McDonald's and you hired a night manager, and while that night manager was on shift every time, the place kept getting robbed. So you fired that one. Then the next guy you brought in, he was stealing meat patties out of the freezer at some point it's not the managers dude you're hiring them and you know it's for griffin to for people to give him credit and say well he's correcting his mistakes don't make the mistakes in the first place you don't have to go back and fill the pothole if you didn't make the 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 you know the damage to the street already and it's i think 3 years in griffin can't be making up for mistakes he was given too much Um, Ali, let me get your thoughts on that.
2: Well, I was actually going to ask you for your impressions because, David, you haven't spoken up. Why don't you talk about it? Because I heard you on a radio show earlier today and you hit directly on these points well, and I completely agree with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, since Griffin got here, everything, his path has been laid straight for him. He's been given every resource that he's asked for. He's been given all the leeway and benefit of the doubt that he could ask for. He has all the power he could possibly want. He was given a number one pick. He was given the Anthony Davis asset. He was given the Drew Holiday asset. And you look at where this team is now, it's not better off than it was two years ago. And in politics, that's the simple thing that they always ask during an during election. Do you feel better off than you did two years ago? The Pelicans are basically in the same place. You have an elite star. You have a, a very good player next to that elite star. And you have a team that you have no idea what direction it's going in. David Griffin was supposed to change all of that. And then when you look at it, when people, when, to me, that, that when Kevin talks about word salad, and I've used that phrase as well, with Dell Griffin, you got, I mean, Dell Demps, excuse me, not putting them together, maybe and that's kind of uh, a Freudian slip, but with Dell Demps, <laughs> you got nothing. You know, Dell said nothing. He didn't, at least he wasn't bullshitting you. He just said nothing. But every time Griffin talks, it feels like he's trying to sell you. And when he goes in and says, we need the fans to be all in. And we need the players to be all in. And we all need to be all in. First of all, we've reused that one already here in New Orleans. And it didn't work. Second, when you talk about that, you're the guy who says you came to sell it culture. And he keeps talking about this family stuff and all that. And that is not the world of sports. That's high school. That might be college. But in professional sports, guys aren't looking for a family. They're looking for a winning situation. And that's not what the Pelicans are right now.
3: Fish? I agree. I mean, it's like I was thinking about when we look back on whatever decision is going to be made, you know, let's say like, fast forward to this point next year, right? We're going to backfill the narrative of either it was a terrible decision and a terrible process and whatever, if the team was bad and the culture's not there or the team's going to be winning and we're going to say, Hey, look, this was, you know, a great decision, et cetera. And you backfill the narrative that way. If whoever coach they select you know, comes in and turns things around. And it might just be a simple thing of the fact that finally, you know, the roster fits better and, you know, that really unleashes, you know, your star players, et cetera. And however we're going to do that, all of the sports stuff backfills, you know, the narrative to the result, and I mean, that's what we're seeing. Ali had mentioned the the Dallas piece um, on their front office issues. Like, and th- that's, I mean, Griffin's going to be judged by his results at this point because his ability to f- hold a flowery um, press conference has already grown tired quickly within 24 months. Um, and honestly, his extreme desire to hop in front of the the cameras and talk comes off as incredibly vain. It doesn't come off at all as some kind of accountability that he is demonstrating, um, just pure vanity at this point because he's always in such a hurry to get in front of the cameras to explain why the decisions that he's made we need to do this and we need to do that. Well, he's the one ultimately that's making these decisions, or he's the one that's supposed to go into Gail Benson and convince her that these are the decisions that need to be made. Um, And while they're coming with her approval, he's the one making them. I don't, I don't see a a situation of accountability, a, a a climate of accountability in this roster in this franchise and the few things that you can lean towards that say that it did look like accountability, for instance, Kevin mentioned, you know, the benching of Jackson Hayes, it feels like that came from Stan Van Gundy, the guy they just fired. So what you're telling me is the guy that appeared to actually bring accountability into this organization, you're kicking him to the curb, even though what he's done appears to have worked really well, for you know your youngest players, and now you're going to get up in front of us and just spout off nonsense. And as a as somebody who first identifies as a fan, not as a member of the media, whatsoever, um, it's incredibly frustrating as a fan to see that kind of approach from from the front office at this point. Um, he's not winning any more press conferences until he starts winning games. That's how it's going to work from here until honestly, if they're not winning next summer, I don't remember if his contract was a four-year contract or a five-year contract or whatever, but next summer, if the team still isn't winning, I mean, I I would, I would expect that most of the fan base at that point is going to say, maybe it's the front office, and that starts with David Griffin, not like the scouts, not the assistant coaches, etc. Maybe it's the front office that needs to be the change. Because Laundry, like we're rooting for Laundry, but Laundry doesn't lose the games. The players and the organization is what lose, wins and loses the games. And all of that falls on David Griffin. Every single player that is on this roster has been acquired by David Griffin within the last 24 months under you know his his control the only you know person really in the organization that you can say is a big holdover would be Fred Vincent um, and his contributions in terms of being you know this shot doctor whiz uh, appear to be fantastic so good on them for holding him on the rest of it there's I I have I have no confidence at this point in the people who are making the decisions. And apparently our, our great hope will be is that Zion is so tired of losing that he comes in and he grabs the organization essentially by the horns, commits himself on the defensive end, which is what the team really needs. And then the rest of the players on the roster follow him along. And then at that point, David Griffin will come up and the team has just been eliminated in the second round or whatever. And he will attempt... To take credit for that, that is how I see things going in the positive way, and at that point i 'm still going to be like, "Well, no, we should really just credit the player, the superstar who finally you know understood and, and came into his own um, to to lead the franchise because you failed too for your first twenty four months
0: Ollie, um, when Griffin talks about this family culture, this culture of sustainable winning. And 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 this familial uh, approach. I don't see where you find that kind of coach. I don't know any coach. Uh, look at the coaches who are in the playoffs right now in the final eight teams. There are not a lot of touchy feely coaches there. Now, not a lot of people you'd say are. You know the the buddy st- uh, players coach Monty Williams is known as a disciplinarian. Quinn Snyder is a very fiery person. Doc Rivers can great personalities as well. Ty Lu is not known as the most effervescent guy ever. I mean, it's what does is Griffin looking for personality or is he looking for someone who is a coach?
2: Great question. <laughs> I mean. I think, personally, I separate the two. When he starts talking about family, I can understand kind of to a degree what he's talking about. And it's not so much as a family per se, but it's having people be on the same page, to have personalities that mesh, that you get along, that when there are, you know, rough times, when there's losing streaks and such, that you can ride them out easier and better. That's about, I hope, to the extent that Griffin also sees, you know (laughs) – in the team and the organization when he's talking about, you know, family itself, but I'll be honest with you. I, I just feel like you got to start at, at step one. And I think fish kind of touched on this, the whole talk of when he first came on board, of course, was family, but it was also a culture. And that was really talked about in the last off season, and why they hired Stan Van Gundy, somebody who was there at the beginning of Pat Riley and what was built in Miami and who's been in the league long enough to understand winning locker rooms. So when you talk about culture, and then of course you're seeking sustain a sustainable winner, sustainable success. What that screams to me is you're going to have to at least give some things a chance. And so if you give, if you think it was fitting to have Alvin Gentry continue over, even though most gen- you know general managers slash presidents, whoever take over a front office like to hire their guy right from the start, that didn't happen. So you would have hoped that maybe Alvin Gentry would have had a longer leash, especially coming off the bubble. That didn't happen. Stan Van Gundy brought in with his resume of great defenses, really, in almost every season at all his stops. And usually he's been a winner as well. I know Detroit, there were some hiccups. But he was only given, what, nine months before you point – well, even though Griff denied saying that any of the prior results of a 31-41 season played in the part of this decision – you have to think a lot of it did, which to me also includes the failure of building the relationships that should happen. But guess what? Relationships aren't built in a day. And I'm 100% with Fish and really pretty much I think our entire group. When I say that, you want somebody that's going to hold these players accountable, especially when it's such a young core. We've seen um, teams in the past looking across the league of why such great talent when it's seemingly put together at first fails because they don't do what's necessary to win, and usually it's because their their feet aren't held to the fire, that they don't have the coaches that push them, or, you know, that just an air of accountability exists, so when Stan was hired, I felt like that, hey, we're at least starting there, and that's why I'm with Fish 100%, I thought, hey, you're at least going to give this guy two to three years, because things don't always happen in year one, yet, here we are, Stan's already out, so the words just ring hollow, David, and you guys. I just I just don't know what to say when you always talk about all these terms you throw out, family, culture, and stuff, when you can't even get to the first door and getting to the second season with a coach, when you have such good talent on the roster. And I'm sorry, it is good talent. When when you beat so many great teams um, this year, right? I think they beat eight or nine of the top ten teams record-wise uh, in the league this year. Not many teams can say that, let alone ones that missed the playoffs. And we saw improvement, as you guys already alluded to, right, defensively with the young players and such. So I just don't like this philosophical differences, th- this discussion today that we heard, and yet it's another phrase, the long list of phrases that Griff seems to go to in his tool bag when he tries to describe a situation. So I don't know where you go from here. I don't know. I I, I don't have the faith, honestly, just like Fish just reiterated. How can you have confidence or at least have the same amount of confidence you did a year ago because I certainly don't,
0: Kevin. Um, I think it's important before we move on just to think the pressure now that is on this offseason as far as the moves go, uh, the trades, the signing of restricted and unrestricted free agents, uh, the draft, and the coach. The timetable is still going to be compressed again this offseason. This is not another – there is no long offseason again. Um, how do you – if you're David Griffin, uh, and I, I'm glad you're not, but <laughs> if you
4: were – I'd like to have his paycheck.
0: Yeah, how do you – I mean, how do you start to do this? And if you're a coach on the outside, looking at this situation – and there has to be some sort of interview process. They probably, obviously once they, they started to break down, they've started putting names together. I'm sure. Um, he mentioned, uh, well, Teresa Weatherspoon's name was brought up in, in, in his uh, comments today. And I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. But if externally, if you're looking at this situation and if you're Griff internally, look at this, this situation, the timetables have to be really off.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, like, that's what I was, I was going to ask this question to you guys sort of before you said this, and it kind of ties into what I was thinking, you know, like, um, I'm going to throw a name out there. I know we're not really talking about candidates, so I'm just going to use them as an example. Like, you know, you guys all knew I was very into the idea of hiring David Vanderpool um, when Griffin first got here. And I thought that was the time to do something like that, where you have a guy who maybe isn't like this X's and O's genius or whatever, but he's going to grow with the team and he's been noted by star players and key players as being really important in, as developing them with skills, but not only as skills, but as people. And I felt like you're in, bringing in this influx of talent, bringing in a coach like that at that time was the right thing to do, especially if you're going to preach culture and family, um, you know, caring about developing the individual first, and then the winning will sort itself out. But now we're at a point where we have two all-stars on the team, And it's like, can you go to that situation and bring in a coach like that now? Or do you have to bring in a coach that is like clearly saying we're in a win now mode? And you can debate what that means because look, Steve Nash is brought into uh, Brooklyn to be a win now coach with no experience and and is kind of like that uh, coach that will be a real players coach, you know? But I think more in line what people think of more in that situation would be like a Nate McMillan or, or a Mike D'Antoni or or a coach like that. Are you stuck in that mode now? Because is it too late to really develop uh, the youth and, and the and the guys that you have on the roster? Do you have to immediately go to the the tactician coach? And you know it's it's really hard because you still have all this youth and you still have all these draft picks that will bring in a bunch of youth, but then you also have a a legit superstar player and an all-star. And then, you know, depending on how you feel about Lonzo and whether he's brought back or not, another very, you know, possibly high end, high quality player already in the mix. Um, So, it's an interesting thing. And I just don't really, you know, I I never really had much, you know, you guys also know, I never really had a lot of confidence in David Griffin. I I wasn't high on him at all before he was hired. Um, And the more I around him, uh, the less I like him. Um, So I just don't have a lot of confidence. And then when you're talking about those coaches, like Mike D'Antoni, these bigger name coaches, they're going to have a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of openings in the league right now. And you're looking at a an organization that just looks like, you know, it's being run by clowns. You know, they're turning over every year. Why would you go in that situation? There's no patience. There's no support for you um, because they're firing you after one bad season. And in a season where you didn't even have an off season, you didn't have a training camp or in a season that was, broken apart with a huge gap and then you're in a whole nother situation in a bubble uh, in terms of what Alvin Gentry went through. Um, So then, I mean, obviously there's only 30 opportunities in the league. So you're going to be able to find someone, but are you going to be able to find the right coach for that, for the situation that you want now because of the way you've acted these past two years? I don't know. I think it's a, a really hard question to answer. And I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about what the direction should be without necessarily naming names. But do you think you need a veteran coach? Do you think you need a coach that's played in the league recently? Or do you need, think you need a coach that is going to focus on developing and let winning sort itself out later?
0: That's a great question. Um, I'm going to turn that one over to you first fish. Um, What is the, let's not do names because it's still really early, but what is the profile now? Because this is possibly the most important season, literally in the history of this franchise. If you go three seasons and you don't make the playoffs with Zion Williamson in an expanded playoff era where you're getting 10 teams from your conference, 10 out of 15 are making the playoffs and you don't get into that group a third time. It's over for everybody. So, how, how, do you, how do you identify whether you're going to get a young, inexperienced coach and then try to get them coached up and get a staff assembled by the time you're ready to go to the summer league? Are you going to have somebody who's able to evaluate players off the top of this roster that you currently have and how much input will that coach have on who stays and who goes? What are you looking for?
3: Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this in terms of from what I heard today. What I think Griffin is going to look for. Griffin's going to look for his own um, job security, number one. So that probably means that he's going to hire a young coach that he can impose a staff on because it sounded like what they wanted to do is they want to keep a lot of their staff together, which means they want to hire a coach that they can tell what to do. Um, and some of the reports, um, the one that we're discussing right now, um, in Bleacher report that you know he want, Griffin in the front office will not have hands in terms of rotations and who plays when, et cetera. So all of that, and the fact that, hey, if you hire a young coach, it kind of gives you the excuse of, "Oh, it's his first year and he's going to grow with the roster, et cetera, which would have been a great decision to make two years ago. Um, so he's going to give himself some more runway. And I fully expect that they're going to hire somebody who hasn't been a head coach in the NBA yet, um, but is one of the rising, shiny stars um, in the assistant ranks. Um, and I won't go, you know, over any of the names, but people, anybody that's on, you know, Twitter and read articles, et cetera, they know most of the names. Um, it's, you know, the lead assistants and flashy young assistants on most of the good coaching staffs around the NBA Um, so that's what I expect that that the front office is going to look for in terms of they're going to want somebody that they can impose a staff and to a to a degree a rotation on who looks at New Orleans as a good first step because they're going to be able to link up with two great players in Zion and Ingram and if we can just convince them to play defense then you know, the team should be competitive. That's what I expect them to do. Is that what I think they should do? No. Um, I think that they should hire the best coach that they can for the job. Um, and a lot of those guys are going to be guys that don't guys or women are going to be, are going to be people that don't want to have the front office's hands so much on the coaching coaching end of things and that was something that I think we heard from Stan Van Gundy early on was that he wanted to be the coach and he didn't want to have to deal with the front office stuff in terms of you know what players are on the roster that's up to Griffin and it sounds like that that wasn't necessarily the case later on in the season where Griffin wanted to have his hands in and Stan Van Gundy might not have appreciated that so if that's the case and that's kind of the situation, like I said, I expect that the Pelicans are going to go after you know a young coach that their front office can impose on a little bit of what they're going to do, and hopefully it works out, and we can backfill that it was a great decision later. Um, and you know, one of the first ways to do that is to make sure that they release this big list of all of the different coaches that they've they've interviewed, um, but. I mean, who knows if that's going to work uh, because it's just... Oh, man. All, all of this seems so unpredictable at this point except for the fact that Griffin is going to deflect blame if it fails and he's going to try to accept flowers if it succeeds. And that's that's how I'm approaching this franchise pretty much from here until he's he's not running it anymore. Ollie, um
0: Uh, when what message has Griffin sent really to this locker room now, because you do have this, this group of young players, predominantly. Um, None of them have experienced winning in the NBA. Uh, They are now seeing their third. Some of them will be seeing their third coach. Some will be seeing their second. Um, If you're the Brandon Ingram, you're on your fourth head coach in your career. Lonzo ball, fourth head coach you know, third or fourth head coach of his career. So you've had these, you know, dramatic changes. And then you also had the same complaints last year. Alvin Gentry basically saying, my hands are tied when it comes to minutes. My hands are tied when it comes to certain players. Don't ask me about that. And then this year, same thing. We saw it. I cannot believe for one minute that Stan Van Gundy wanted the lineups that he had to run out every night. It didn't sound like that from Stan. It didn't sound like that from from Alvin the the previous year. If you're going to be that hands-on from management on that next coach, even a young coach may say, I can't take this failure knowing what the pressure is urgently, that Zion could decide not to take his extension and and, and go into restricted free agency. All those things, you have to build a relationship with Zion, build a relationship with Anger, build a relationship with Griffin, figure out what you're going to do with this roster, Put together, take this staff that he's given you and get to know them. Wouldn't, I mean, this has to feel like chaos in that locker room.
2: I think it does, but I also think that keeping Stan would have ensured further similar chaos. Because I had learned, I think we had learned, about Brandon Ingram and SVG having differences of opinion, we'll call it that, like I want to say about three months ago. So none right. of this, what's come out over the last month, is any kind of a surprise to me. So from this perspective, I think actually moving on from Stan Van Gundy is kind of the right move if you want to actually send, not send a message, but to make sure that the the this young core that you have hopes of still turning into a winner and keeping, of course, but turning them into an eventual winner that they stick around. I think had they brought Stan back, I think that would have been the worst, maybe worst case scenario, especially for some of these players like B.I. So from that standpoint, but overall, your message is correct, David. I think when you have a bunch of young, talented young men, a group that has not experienced winning on this level, that consistently see a coach come in and out the door, that guess what it's not going to build any greater accountability ab- among them it's hard to foresee a great leader or several good leaders rising from those type of ashes so from that standpoint, no it's terrible um but you know like i, I, I really it can didn't be make to
0: real quick it just feels like what you're creating is a, is a is a culture that's more ripe for selfishness because if I feel like as a player yeah. I'm going to outlast this coach. My contract, it may maybe two more years or whatever, but we haven't seen a coach make it two years. I got to get mine because I got to get my numbers up so I can get out of here. If somebody can pay me. And, and I think that that for a lot of guys who are not Zion and Brandon Ingram, who are secure in their place in the NBA. If you look around and you see instability all around you, then you're going to protect yourself just the same way as fish said, Griffin is going to protect his himself.
2: No, I completely agree with that argument, but I feel like because of the hire of Stan Van Gundy and then the philosophical differences and then it always felt like to me Stan's hands were tied and Mm -hmm. it really showed up when Jackson got initially hurt and Hernan Gomez, who was the third stringer, jumped in ahead of him and voila, first game he played better than Jackson had the first six weeks of the season. And I remember asking Stan, so is this going to make you reevaluate your rotations or something along those lines? And he said, that's a great question. Yeah, I think we'll have to go back to basically the drawing board or something along those lines. So it clearly wasn't reflecting that Stan's 100% here driving the bus. So that instance and then others that followed similarly to where I remember, guys, since Fish brought it up, the Bleacher Report article talking about how... Supposedly Griffin wanted for more of the young guys to get minutes in play and such, but supposedly Stan Van Gundy preferred Eric Bledsoe. Well, that kind of runs contrary to the comments made by Griffin earlier, or what, in the middle of the season, right? Where he said, if you're a young guy, you've got to earn your minutes. And we all laughed it off at the time because, let's face it, Eric Bledsoe was not playing well, and he certainly wasn't deserving of 30-plus minutes a game. And, there were, and I, if I believe when the comments were made, that was Kira's best month. Uh, Nikhil was really rounding in the form before his injury, uh, that ankle injury and such. So nothing's ever made sense to me. So for me, just to simply point and say that a hiring and firing of a coach is bad on locker room. Yes, David, we know that we've watched like, for instance, the Wizards, right? The Gilbert Arenas Wizards or the Clippers when they had Odom, Magetti and all the other young guys. We saw what happens when there is no accountability and you're flip-flopping through coaches who have no real power. Um, no real voice on on what that leads to, right? No matter how talented the group, but I feel like there's more at play. And I think we're all kind of touching on it is David Griffin's imposition, right? On on wanting to have an effect um, of say roster decisions or who's playing a certain night development, um, you name it. So it's hard for me to really just answer your question in a vacuum because there's so much more to, that needs requires a context from this Pelicans environment we saw this season.
0: Yeah. There are literally so many dominoes to follow this off season. Now that change just because of today, um, Kevin, how, you know, how do you prioritize this? How quickly do you think that the Pelicans need to have a coach in place in order to try to have, especially if you're talking about a first time head coach and put them in position to win. I mean, they have to. There's, to me, I don't see any way they they have to win.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be a super high priority, um, you know, especially, like you said, the is going to be short again, so the faster you can get that guy in here, building relationships with his players, uh, figuring out rotations, starting to have some say, if he gets any say in roster decisions, um, things like that. I mean, that, that's imperative because like you said you know like this is like nick anderson at the free throw line you know this is like he missed the first two you know is he gonna if he misses the next one you know this franchise will be crippled for years and years and years again because it'll be another superstar asking for his way out because we built a disorganized uh dysfunctional franchise and um you know so like you and while they invested a bunch of money in the facilities and then the coaching staff and all of that, if it if from the top down, from the top, it's not stable, then the whole thing doesn't matter anymore. So, you know, it's, it would be a bad situation and you can't blame a player for wanting out of that sort of situation where there's no stability. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to work in a place where there's no stability up top. I want things to be structured and I want to know what I'm walking into every day. I mean, not to say that I can't have curb curveballs thrown at me and I adjust to them and work with them. But you want to have some sense of structure and some sense of familiarity and some sense of continuity. Um, and there's just hasn't been that since this whole organization came. I mean, this, uh, this front office came in, you know, like there was, uh, what, what we have three guys left over from the last regime as far as players in the first mm-hmm. year. And then now there's none of those guys. And then now, Uh, two, two head coaches are gone. Um, you know, it's just a constantly shuffling in and out and there's not to say that you shouldn't change where you think changes need to be made. And sure there was a lot of work that needed to be done with what was left there. And there was, uh, situations that you needed to evaluate and move on from. Um, but it can't be a constant state of flux, um, to, to keep somebody happy to keep them engaged. Um, and even to keep a fan base engaged at that as well. Um, when you're still trying to gain a foothold in this community that has never really hung on to the basketball team throughout every iteration of it. You know, there's been moments where it's been like heavily adapted, adopted, and people are all in on it for brief moments of time. And then things like this keep happening and we have no sense of stability. So, you know, you can't miss this, this time around this off season is, extremely crucial in terms of who is the head man in charge and also what roster changes and what decisions are made on what players, you know, including, you know, like Brandon Ingram, including Lonzo Ball, including, you know, who is what you're keeping around Zion because Zion is obviously the focal point. He is the superstar. So you need to make everything work for him and you need to keep him satisfied because you can't have, you can't have another star ask out before his second contract. It's just not something that we could go through again.
0: Fish. Um, I'm going to ask everybody this as, as we get to the end of this, because I don't think we need to go into the Stan Van Gundy era anymore. I think we've covered all of those things within this discussion, but organizationally, do you think you can win where your coach is not empowered in either it within the locker room to where folks know he has, he or she has the ability to, you know, set the lineup, determine who the, 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 the pecking order of players is, or empowered in a way with front, the front office to choose and help decide what that, that organizational vision is, what our philosophy is. Because Griffin talks about philosophy, but I still don't know. And, and as we said, we don't really understand what the philosophy overall is. What kind of team does he really want can you be successful with that? Fish, you're first.
3: Yeah. Um, like he he mentions a lot about philosophy, but I have no idea what the philosophy is. Apparently, the philosophy is winning and developing an organization that has sustained winning. That's a result. That's 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 a wish list. That's not that's not a philosophy. That's not how we're going to get to it. Like if you ask the Knicks right now, like what their philosophy is with Tom Thibodeau as their head coach. Like, you can see in how they play the game what their philosophy is. Minimize mistakes. Play defense. Be physical. Exactly. And I thought that that's what the Pelicans were trying to do in hiring Stan Van Gundy. We're going to minimize mistakes. We're going to get back on defense. We're going to box out. We're going to dominate the glass. This is how we're going to build. And now he's saying there's a philosophical disconnect between him and Stan Van Gundy. and I. I don't think David Griffin has a philosophy that he's trying to build. And so whatever head coach he puts in there, you know, if they have regardless of how much control they have um, and how that's perceived by the players, it, it, building the team and winning the game still comes back to like, you need to have an idea. There needs to be a marriage between how you want to play and the players you have on the roster to play. And the Pelicans up to this point have not fully demonstrated that David Griffin, whose job it is to pick both of those things, the players and the coach, i.e. who we're going to play and how we're going to play and get those things to link together. And so when you look at, you know, how, he he mentions philosophy and etc what is the philosophy of the team can anyone define that winning isn't a philosophy All, everyone's in this hypothetically to win that's not a philosophy sustained growth that's that's not a philosophy either we we want to continue to win That's... None of those things is a philosophy. How are the Pelicans going to play basketball? How are you going to get the players that are going to play that style of basketball and fit in that kind of system? Or can you just get enough talent and you can get a coach that's flexible enough that he can, he, he's flexible to the talent that's, that's available, that he can you know, adapt a system that will work with the talent that you have on hand? Um, and I don't, I I don't, I don't see the vision right now. And you look at the roster and how it's constructed and how many players they already have under contract. Um, and then, you know, the few players they have that are approaching free agency, none of those, those players mesh into any system. There's, there's way too much conflict there. So obviously some of the players need to go and which players need to go is going to be decided in part by David Griffin, but in part by, you know, things beyond his control and free agency. And then the coach he selects isn't just his decision because he needs, he needs to sell the organization and the position to a coach after you've just fired two head coaches in two summers. Two respected right. head coaches
0: at
2: that. <laughs> to
3: respect exactly. The coaches. Exactly. Yes, two two highly regarded people around the league. You have shown the door
2: mm-hmm.
3: after 72 games apiece um, and because the wheels came off at some point. So, I mean, David Griffin might not be able to get the coach that he wants, either because at this point he's still trying to pay two coaches with Gail Benson's money again, or because, you know, highly qualified coaches that might have wanted to come here last summer or especially 2 summers ago don't want to come now because the philosoph the the philosophy and the stability of the organization has been so tarnished around the league because of David Griffin's actions running the organization that those the best fits might be off of the table for him those might be unattainable things because of the decisions that he's made, he's removed those things from the table himself. And we need to recognize that, that he may have handcuffed himself to the point where he cannot make the good decisions because of all of the poor decisions that have led up to this point. Um, Do I think a coach could, do I think a coach could come in here and be successful? Absolutely. And I just, I keep coming back to the fact that I, especially the stuff we're reading now about uh, about Griffin and the kind of input he wants. I don't know if this is, this is an organization that provides that potential for success for a coach where the coach is going to want to come in and be a part of the coach that they need is going to want to come in and be a part of it.
0: Kevin, um, your thoughts on how much of a disadvantage does this put the Pelicans in this summer, in finding a coach, in making the necessary player moves that they have to make to get better, in reaching Zion Williamson and making sure that he he really wants to be a part of the long-term future of this, there's so much riding on this summer.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all, pretty much everything Fish just said. I, this really reminds me of that era in the office where Michael and Jim were co-managers. And like, you know... They didn't understand if Jim could fire somebody or not, you know, it's like, you can't have these two people that are kind of at the same level doing the same job because like, you know, if you hire somebody to do a job, you got to let them do that job. You can't be a guy that's constantly interfering in the other person's work. And then it opens up opportunities for people to go back door to a guy who's above them to have influence below. You got to let the coach coach especially, you know, think about this in any job you've ever had, you know, um, like I've worked for design companies, I work for publications, you know, I get hired to do the graphic end of something, the graphics on the end of that, whatever spectrum that is. And I'm hired by somebody who's like an editor, right. But they've never done my job and I've never done their job. So if I wrote something, I always trusted that they would, do their job editing it. And I would disagree with what they did because they know better because that's their area of expertise. And I have not done that job. And then I would expect the same on the graphic end. Whereas like if I'm designing something, I'm certainly open to input, but I, I don't want to be dictated by somebody who's not done this job before, you know? And I feel like David Griffin has never been a coach. You know, it'd be one thing if we're talking Pat Riley, we're talking, um, Phil Jackson or or somebody like that who's actually coached and is dictating things to the coach below him. Uh, Maybe I could understand that situation more and maybe coaches would be more open to that, but you're not, you're talking about a guy who's been kind of gifted every opportunity he's had with great luck, you know, winning lotteries, having LeBron James want to come back to Cleveland, having Anthony Davis straight package, Zion Williamson, lottery pick, all of these things never been a coach, never done the job. And then he wants to tell you how to do your job. It's pretty off-putting for a candidate, I would think. Um, And I I mean, I wouldn't want to work in that environment. And it's, uh, I think it just creates a lot of issues that don't need to be there. If you have confidence in your coach, let that coach coach. You hired him for a reason. Let him see his vision. If you have some input on things, send it his way, but don't dictate that he does something a certain way. Let him play it out. Let him figure it out. And see how it goes, because like I said, you're just opening the door for players to undermine that coach by going over his head to you um, and trying to have things changed and force things on that coach um, and just all the other problems it creates. I just think it, it could be a really toxic environment. And I, I think it's something that they should definitely steer clear, clear of, you know.
0: Ali, I'm in with you on this one. Um, how, how quickly do you think they move on this? And is it more likely uh, that they, in in your opinion at this point, that they try to stay somewhat with someone who is in-house to try to have some type of continuity, at least in the relationships with players, or do they, or is Griffin, you know, the kind of, I, I think Griffin wants to, to get someone that he gets to say, I got the, I got the guy. And that's what the, the has been kind of the, 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 Thought of his whole tenure so far is that I got the guy, I figured it out. Even coming from Cleveland, it was I didn't enjoy the winning. I didn't enjoy the way we built it. I didn't and and like you said, when it's when it's something wrong, he says we. But I think that then when it comes to this coaching hour, he wants to show how smart he is with this one. But there's not really the need here. The need is just to find someone who's effective.
2: I think you've got to hire somebody well before the NBA draft next month. Um, you're going to want the input of the next coach on his roster and specifically where he sees holes and fits and you name it, just the construction of it. So it depends on then, of course the question is going to be on who you're going to be drafting because the Pelicans have what one first round pick and four seconds. Obviously they won't use all of them, but there's still a lot of decisions to be made on the roster construction. And that starts with the draft. So you've got to give whoever's coming in plenty of time to catch up and get up to speed. So, I would hope that they land on somebody by say maybe the first week of July. Don't go any further past than the second week of July, right? The draft, I think it's July 29th. So yeah, they got to bring somebody in and answer your other question. I would hope that they br- keep somebody in house. That's why I honestly like the Teresa Weatherspoon rumors. I agreed with you that Fred Vinson, I don't think he has the capabilities that I trust yet to be able to carry out a head coach's job. But I do feel like we've learned enough about Teresa to where you would feel confident that she would be able at least to do uh, big, important parts of the job well. She's very connected to probably everybody in this roster, but we've specifically heard instances with Zion, with Kyra, and several of the other young guys, especially the developmental guys, because that's how she started here. Her first year, she was a two-way player coach, if you guys may remember Mm-hmm. I think that's important. I think that's the number one thing. If that's one thing we learned, Brandon Ingram seemed to have his worst defensive year of his professional career. And I don't think it it it, it coincides, or I think it coincides well with his relationship with Stan, right? What was going in from Stan's mouth to Brandon's ears wasn't always being connected. And I think it showed in his play, right? So that's very important. But here's the problem. You, you would think that maybe you want to keep somebody in house and Kevin. And I think even fish alluded to it. You want to go with somebody younger, maybe that somebody you can force more input on, but how do we know that's where Griff wants? Cause I feel like his two years, we've seen nothing but polar opposites take place. You come on, keep on board Alvin Gentry. One of the biggest players coaches out there who is offense oriented. You go then to the other extreme, you go defense with a guy that's a traditional guy. So that right there, there's a huge disparity. then, of course, we read this report from Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report, saying that he indeed, Griff, wants his input. But yet, guess who he wanted to hire before Stan? His first two choices. It was Doc Rivers and Ty Lue. Those guys aren't going to be taking whatever Griff has to say and basically allow themselves to be dictated by it. I don't see that. So I have no idea, based on everything that we've heard on which direction he should go. My personal instinct is, like I said, Teresa Witherspoon, but I I just don't know, guys. I mean, I don't know how you can feel confident in any potential candidate, considering, like I said, all these things that we've learned so far about Griff's wish list and actions and who he's hired.
0: Uh, I don't know if we lost the ollie real quick, but um, final question to you guys. Um, and we'll just wrap on this considering where we are now are you more optimistic less optimistic or about the same regarding the Pelicans
3: future fish substantially less optimistic um, maybe they hit this one out of the park um, maybe this is the impetus for significant change within the organization uh, but what what you're hearing f- from the organization and from Griffin in that press conference is is that he thinks that a lot of the things he has in place are the right things. And if he can just find the right coach to do the things that he wants done, the way he wants them done. Um, He, it sounds like somebody who he's a, he's a general manager of a restaurant and he's ordered all of these ingredients and he's told the cook what to make and they keep on coming back with the wrong dish. So he keeps on hiring a new chef. And maybe this time he's gonna hire the right chef. And maybe he does. I hope he does. But um I'm I'm very concerned about the ingredients he's ordered at this point.
0: All right, Kevin, more, less, or about the same?
4: Y'all are hitting too close to home with all this restaurant comparison. <laughs> but um yeah, I mean I, I'm with fish. I'm I'm less uh optimistic, but at the end of the day as long as we still have Zion Williamson and he is relatively satisfied with the way things are, if he's not outright checked out, um, you know, there's always a chance that things are going to be fine because he's that kind of talent. Um, So you have some leeway and yeah, you have uh, a little range to fuck it up a little bit. Um, But I definitely am less optimistic. I mean, I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in David Griffin. I, you know, you, you guys have known how I felt about him since before he was even hired. So um, it just, and that has gotten worse and worse as we've gone along, not to say that I don't think there were good decisions, good picks and things like that. I just overall, the, the aimlessness, um, the the lack of direction, uh, just, how I just feel like I'm, you know, talking to a guy who's trying to sell me a handkerchief he wiped his head with while praying on a late night TV show. Um, every time he talks, like I just I you know I just don't buy into him at all, and I think it's probably hard for players to buy into him because of the same things. And uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong there. And I'm wrong a lot on things, but he just doesn't seem like a guy who is actually genuine or maybe he thinks he believes he's genuine. He's just so much. He doesn't have the ability to look at things from other people's perspective to really understand how what he's doing and how he's doing things aren't the right way to go about. I think maybe might be the situation. But at the end of the day, I have very little faith.
0: Ali, um, are you still there?
2: Yeah. Sorry, okay. I got interrupted earlier. Oh, no problem. Yeah, so for more, me,
0: less, or same?
2: Definitely less. I don't – and you can simply point to the, the, the simple example of less than a month ago, we're having our season-end conferences, and Griff's talking up how the defense improved. There was a lot of player developmental improvement individually. And, of course, Point Zion was born but he was optimistic that all these things took, you know, place under Stan Van regime. And yet here we are. Now he's being let go for philosophical differences. doesn't really make any sense when you would think that Stan and Griff were on the same page talking a lot through the season and to suddenly learn new things over these last almost four weeks to suddenly change course and go to a new head coach. So you pile that on top of everything else that we've seen that we've touched on or know about these Pelicans under Griffin's, uh, control and there hasn't been a winner. I don't know how you cannot have less confidence, but here's the key point that I'm going to take away and hopeful point. Pelican's job, I think is still very tempting, enticing, alluring. Unless you have a roster that's built to win a championship. Now it's hard to for see a, almost a better position. I know that Griff with all his controlling what you've learned about him or may know about him. If you're a potential head coaching hire, might scare you off a little bit. There's still only 30 jobs. Zion Williamson is on this roster. There's other good talent as well, including Ingram. I don't fear that they're going to land somebody that's capable of at least um, being able to lead this team to places where they should go. And they should have at least their choice of several candidates. So from that perspective, I'm going to choose to be hopeful and positive that it works out. But overall, yeah, I mean, Griffin's regime, like I said, my goodness. I mean, David, you want to add anything to that?
0: Yeah, I guess my final thought is, and, and to go back to the office, um, David Griffin is, is Ryan the intern. <laughs> He's Ryan the intern. And, and that's what Ryan did. You know, he sold his way on ideas that literally, you know, really didn't make sense, but sounded good. And he got his way to the top. And then he got exposed. And, and that's what it feels like right now is that Griffin has sold his way to the top of the NBA through his, his personality and, and by being associated with winning, though not really directly impacting it. And now he's being exposed. And I, I just think that it's hard for anybody to come in at this point as a head coach and look at this and say, I mean, they're going to come. Anybody who takes the job, obviously, is going to believe they're going to be successful. But I don't see a way where you you can realistically think that this is of anything other than your next job. Not your last job. You know what I mean? Like, you're not thinking about five, 10 years if you take the Pelicans job. You're thinking this is a resume builder. Like, hopefully you can do enough before you get fired to, to do something and, and get yourself a second job. I, I just don't see any other way that you could come in with the kind of optimism and say, I can build a champion when you realize how fragile this whole thing really is because it's a Zion Williamson away from being nothing again. And if Zion says after this year, I'm not doing this. If we miss the playoffs a third straight time, I can't do this anymore. And his dad says, I'm not having this either. And the Jordan brand says, you can't have this either. It's 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 a conversation that the city has had before, that players have had before, and it sucks that it feels like it's about to happen again. That would be my final thought. Guys, do y'all have anything else you want to drop in before we close this thing out?
4: Yeah, just real quick, I would also say one of the things that's very troubling about his tenure is it seems like he talks somebody up so high and then immediately the, the, at the end of the season that person is jettisoned, whether it was Drew Holiday, um, mm. Stan Van Gundy, or just like recently I heard him talking up Eric Bledsoe a whole lot and mm. his importance on this team. and. There's reports that they've been trying to figure out how to get rid of him, you know, which we all want. We think it's the right move, but it's just troubling that, you know, when you want people to buy in and you want it to create a family situation where you're always talking somebody up and then immediately kicking them out the door, um, it just doesn't look good.
0: No, it really doesn't. Um, So here we are. This is the situation with the Pelicans, folks. We will have more certainly in the weeks to come. There will be plenty of news to share and we will be more diligent in being here to give it to you. So for Kevin Berrios, for David Fisher and Ali Koso, I am David Grubb and this has been another edition of The Bird Calls. Let's go pells.
1: Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today.
0: Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate, not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone
1: else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate.